Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. So much to look forward to, no time to hang around. And joining Ahmed Al-Sheikh, who makes his first visit uh, to the Luck on Sunday studios, uh, our first ever Luck on Sunday Pair, Eve Johnson-Horton and David Yates from the Daily Mirror. And Eve, a, a wonderful weekend for you as well. The Derby weekend passed off without the incident we feared largely, but with all the good racing we hoped for. It was really worrying going into the weekend because we just did not want the wrong headlines. And I have to say hats off to the jockey club, the police and everyone involved because it went without a hitch and we've got the right headlines. And that's fantastic news. I don't know what it is about your appearances on this programme. The first ever show we did back at the end of 2017, you rang me and said, I can't possibly come on, I've lost my voice. I said, you're coming on anyway, here's a, a packet of vocal zone. Here you are again with no voice after loads of winners. Well, I, I think I did a bit too much shouting home over the weekend, so, yeah. Sorry about my voice, apologies. Not at all. The content will be magnificent, as always. David, good to see you. Your favourite race of the year. Absolutely. Did it live up to the billing? I, it really did. I... I, I I couldn't imagine driving away from Epsom as happy as I was last night. You know, the, the feeling was that um, we were sort of almost like you're, you're, you're having a banquet in a castle and there are, there are opponents outside who are trying to get in through whichever way they can, the weakest point. Um, as with Aintree, uh, one felt that... Um, you were under siege, something was going to happen. The, the minutes ticked away towards the start and you thought, right, you know, I was up in the, um, the old press room at the top of the Queen's stand and then the race is off and you think, right, well, we're off two minutes after the scheduled off time, which we would have all taken, I'm sure. Um, we had one protester on the track um, who was obviously tackled very quickly. I thought that while it was a triumph for racing, I thought Animal Rising had a very bad day yesterday. Uh, the, the guy who went on the track was, was one of their spokespeople, uh, Ben Newnham. It wasn't some dissident uh, that, that they could um, distance themselves from. Um, they also then claimed on social media that, that the race had been started when he was on the track. And... That, that's been exposed as a lie. We, we, we could go through the timings of that and maybe we might have time oh, to do will. it later on. We will. Um, but I, I thought, given the, the, the apprehension that we had beforehand, I thought it, was, it, it, went, it went incredibly well. And more on the, on the logistics and the complexity of that with Nevin Truesdale, Chief Executive of the Jockey Club, in a moment. Ahmad Al-Sheikh, you've been so close to winning the derby with Khalifa Sat and Huya Mal. You must have gone into yesterday with Dubai, Dubai Mal full, full of hope. But it'll just have to be another year. How's the horse this morning? Yeah, the horse is fine. I think he don't like the track yesterday, and that's what we not put it in our mind before. We thought he would handle the track. We don't have any problem with the, 
the distant. But this is, you know, you need to try always to be there. That's why the Derby is the most uh, traffic race or very strong race to, to win it or to find a horse to run, to find a horse to run in the Derby. So tell me this, what set your passion for this race alight? Because you're a relatively new race or so, and you've only been owning horses for, say, 20 years or so, something like that, 15, About, 20 yeah, years? Yeah, 15 years. But you are completely obsessed with this race. Yeah. The most important are the, the media here. You know, the media in, in England, and uh, they promote the races in very nice ways. And uh, from that time, when, when you see the, the before the derby, how the media in England talk about the race and they, they put the race in that image, uh -huh. then everybody or, or any owner, he likes to be there. For, that's the main reason how I choose the derby to be, in, uh, to be uh, part of this race. Uh, the, yes, the Guinness is there, but the, the Derby, the image, what they make it in media in England, TV, newspaper, you know, see now we are talking about the Derby. After uh, the Guinness or any group one, you don't have that image like the Derby. Uh -huh. That's why I start to like the Derby, and I, and I like more the, the long distance. Then I, I, I feel I enjoy myself when I, saw the, I see the race with a mile and a half. But if five furlong just if I have my coffee, the race is finished. <laughs> <laughs> then I don't enjoy, I don't enjoy five or six furlong. And from that time, I always try to find the pedigree of uh, mile and a half. So you just like the way a mile and a half race unfolds a bit more, a bit more drama, more exactly. intricacy, more stories, more exactly. Exactly. Like yesterday, before before the derby, one of my trainer, my best trainer, came to me. Your best trainer. One of my best trainers. Yeah. One of your best trainers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he came to me and he said, Ahmed, good luck today, but uh, I tell you something. He said, if you're not one, I have one for you for next year. Oh. And I said, oh, I not sleep one month now. You don't want me to sleep one year more from now <laughs> until next year. <laughs> then that's why I sent for them always that pedigree of the derby. And this is the good thing, of course, all your trainers know exactly what you want. So they can always they can always sell you a dream. Yeah, always. But they said, these trainers, they send me the good dream. They... They are honest and they know what I like and you know it's because in the last 15 years I go with a lot of trainers. Some of them, sorry to say that, like commercial trainers, but some of them they are real trainers, they advise and if you don't have a horse for them this year they say this is not Suta Ahmed, go for that one. Uh -huh. Some of them, yeah, yeah, we'll make it like this is a derby horse, you know like seven for long and they tell you this is a derby horse. You know like just they want the horse to, to train, not just to tell you with the the good one for that race. I mean, for a trainer's point of view, I, I mean, I'm sure you take a view. Well, I know you take a view. Yeah. I know you take a view, and you, you have an opinion on all your horses, and you buy a lot of the horses yourself. Yeah. But if you, at least if you've got a tra an owner who knows what they want, knows what type of horse they want, knows what type of race they want to win, kind of makes your job a little bit easier, doesn't well, it? Absolutely. You know what sort of horse they're, they're trying to buy. And if, even if you have a horse that is a seven furlong horse and might be very good, you can say, well, is a seven furlong horse, but that's not what you're looking for. Um, maybe we should sell him at the end of the year and we'll try and find something else. Exactly. Because with the best will of the world, even when you buy the pedigree for the longer, longer trips, it might not actually work out that way. And then you can shuffle again and try again. Well, the one place where Bally Doyle and, and the Coolmore Ownership Triumvirate, well, more than Triumvirate now, Ownership Partnership have always succeeded as regards attacking this race is in the pedigree department, let's face it. And yesterday was no exception. By the brilliant Japanese racehorse, Deep Impact, out of Rhododendron herself, a multiple group one winner, step forward, August Rodan.
nothing to write home about in the 2,000 guineas, let's face it. But Aidan O'Brien told you to ignore that, and if you took his advice, you were fairly well rewarded. We're going to take a look at the derby from the outset here, and August Rodin breaks toward the outside in that golden stall in 10, and there was an immediate professionalism, I thought, Eve, about the way he just settled into his stride. And you see the derby, you get horses revved up, lit up, no cover, inexperience showing all the way and he's straight into the bridle. Absolutely, especially considering the bumping and boring that went on in the Guinness, that could have easily lit him up for the derby, but he didn't, he just went boom and Ryan, professional as ever, just had him in the perfect place. The time, Dave, wasn't too bad at all, it was very much quicker than the Oaks and only a tick outside the that really good time posted by, by Emily Upjohn, it, it sort of rather suggested that the two Ballydoyle pace setters here trying to shape the race they've not gone too fast they've just gone an even gallop yes that's what the the time said you've got uh, a rest on the outside there who led early obviously bidding to give Frankie Dettori that valedictory derby winner which uh, didn't come off in his interview afterwards Ryan Moore told Lydia Hislop that from a, a very early stage he was he felt that the horse was in a a, a different rhythm I think to the the one that he had at Newmarket um he was a horse that divided punters, I think. Personally, I was very happy to take him on after be he'd beaten just two home uh, in the 2000 Guineas. But as you said, Aidan O'Brien very publicly kept the faith in this horse and it was rewarded just running down a, a, an amazing uh, run from the, the 66 outsider King, King of Steel. Steel. A remarkable performance from King of Steel. I spoke to Roger Varian Eve on his way home yesterday to tell him that his. Um, Groom had won the £4,000 for Whirlpool moment of the day, which he was delighted about. I, 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 I could just hear in his voice that, that that feeling of what might have been. Well, it's really hard, isn't it? Because it's so close. And there's only one derby every year and, uh, and only one chance for that horse to win the derby. And uh, especially after what happened to York, you'd think, oh, was that enough to stop him winning? Mm. Because he'd, he'd, he'd have clearly bolted up in the dance, wouldn't he, on this one? You'd think ball. so, wouldn't yeah. you? You'd think so, but you don't know, you know, ifs and buts. I mean, he ran a storming race, and uh, you'd have to think he's going to go on from this and just improve and improve. Terrific performance from King of Steel, stretching right away, but August Rodin, dead aim and running straight, and with great balance, I thought, as well. Oh, I mean, you have to have beautiful balance, and that, I mean, it, that is why it is the ultimate test of the racehorse, um, Epsom because they have to be well balanced and they have to be able to quicken down a hill, up a hill, round a bend, on a camber and it is that, that's why we find out which the best horse is. Ahmad, you were watching that again with interest. Any observations on, on Dubai Mile now where he might head after yesterday? Yeah, I think now we decide uh, maybe we'll go to Grand Le Paris in... Uh, the Grand Prix de Paris? The Grand Prix de Paris on 15th of July mm -hmm. and there are one race in Deauville, uh, mile and quarter, I think one of them will suit our horse more because the track, uh, this track, uh, you know, suit him, uh, suit him uh, yesterday. But there he is in the mix with the Waipiro and... Yeah, he, he finished very well. It's like three lengths from the fourth. Mm. Not that far, but still because of the track, I think he's not run uh, his race. And where did you find him, Dubai Mile? In, in Ireland, mm -hmm. in the Goffs. Yeah. What did you like about him? Uh, really, uh, Mr. Uh, Mark Johnson, he told me about him. And I say, yeah, because my son, he, he like this sire. Roaring Lion. The Roaring Lion. And uh, we try to find a new market we cannot, and we talk with him there. And he say, yeah, there are two or three. 
and by luck we choose this one or the other one. Okay, so lots to look, lots to look forward to with him. Maybe the yeah. Guillaume Donano at, uh, at Deauville and, and very possibly the Grand Prix de Paris yeah. uh, Longchamp on Bastille Day. This is the overhead angle, which shows Ryan Moore taking dead aim at, at Kevin Stott. These are two exciting horses for the rest of the season, no doubt, Dave. Where do you put August Rodin in the pantheon of O'Brien's nine derby winners so far? Where would you put him? Right, well, I've not put a rating on him. Um, well, is he is he above Galileo? High Chaparral? Uh, I don't think he's above Camelot? Galileo at the moment. No. Australia? Above High Chaparral, I would say. Would it? Would you? Uh, oh, I would. Would you? That's a big call. Yeah, I think so. Big call. Well, look, it, it, forgive me for saying, but it's an unfair question. Because it is. We're, we're talking. You're. We're talking about um, lots of horse, careers in, in, in their totality horse, you know, in hindsight the, 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 against one performance. Yeah. Those who, those who, uh, as as our uh, the global flat year has been reshaped over the last couple of decades. Those who call for the derby to put on a later slot at the start of July are missing the point. The whole, the. the 95% of the allure and appeal of this race is that we are looking at three-year-old colts, not in, perhaps in their, their, the nascent stage of their career, but as they develop. So to say on June the 4th, how does um, Auguste Rodin compare with these horses, some of whom are no longer with us and they've all finished their careers, is a, an impossible question to answer. Indeed. Forgive me. Right, we are going to hear from Aidan O'Brien very shortly. But first of all, we're going to hear from the, the jockey who rode the runner-up, uh, King of Steel, uh, Kevin Stott. It was a, a tremendous weekend for him. He had a double on Friday. He also, and this wasn't really written up at all, finished a very good fourth on Mammon June, a once-raced maiden in the Oaks. And he's really burnished his reputation in this role, the short-lived role so far, as a stable jockey to Keir Ammo Racing. It was another second placing in the derby for that ownership operation. And Lydia caught up with uh, Kevin Stott right after the race yesterday. And his first ride in the derby, Kevin Stott has finished second. He came within a whisker of winning it. At one point, you must have thought, I've won this. Yeah, um, I think from every jockey's perspective, is you hit the front in the derby, you know. It's obviously a few emotions and a few thoughts that go through your head, but... Um, I'm obviously kicking myself a little bit, thinking that I might have got a little bit too early on him. Um, but then again, he hasn't had a run yet this year and might just have caught him out the last 50 yards. Um, listen, we were beat by a very, very good horse, obviously, but I had faith in my fella. From his homework, I was telling him yesterday that he's a very nice horse. You can see the size of him there. He's, he's absolutely huge, so... Um, Better things will come, I'm sure. True. He's won a huge race. The two of you are miles clear. There's a lot to look forward to as well, true. Kevin. Very true, yeah. And you've got some claps on the back from Keir and from Roger as well. I mean, I know that you'll be going home and kicking yourself and analysing and analysing, but do remember that. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm sure I will. Um, but I look forward to bigger days with this horse, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Good luck with that. Thank you. Thanks for talking Cheers. to me. Thank you. Cool customer, Kevin Stott, and working his way into the elite jockeys. And it's that opportunity, isn't it, Eve, to get himself in every big race in the, in the south now as well as in the north and he's catching even more eyes absolutely he's grabbed the opportunity and uh, run with it and he's doing a great job and uh, Amman must be thrilled with the, with the signing and actually Dave you know, if you, you sign for an ownership uh, outfit it, there's always attendant risks aren't there because you don't know how many 
um, other opportunities you're then going to have to forfeit because you have to go to X race course for one ride and so forth. It's, it's, it's always an interesting decision, that. It, it is, but I think it's a fairly straightforward one uh, to make in, in many cases. Um, uh, Kevin Stott's career is upwardly mobile. This, this gave him the opportunity to have a presence in races like this and I'd have thought that it was a, a pretty straightforward, you know, the, 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 in, in any career, in any aspect of life, when the uh, opportunities are presented to you, you have to grasp them. And Kevin Stott has done a, a superb job of that. I think he's a very even-tempered, eloquent guy to deal with as well, which from our perspective helps. But he's certainly eloquent uh, on, on board a horse, and it's going very well. It, it, was, it was heartbreaking for him and for Roger Varian yesterday and to, to, to have that missed opportunity, uh, particularly given the fact that the horse didn't run at York. Who knows whether that would have made half a length's worth of difference. Um, but... The, the, the positive side with King of, King of Steel, who's a really imposing, really imposing, mm. impressive-looking horse, is that the, the, uh, the coming weeks and months promise much. Uh, Ahmed, you're someone who's retained a jockey in the past. You retained uh, Marco Gianni for, yeah. for for a while. I mean, yeah. what's the what's the advantage for for an owner of doing that versus the you know the counter yeah, side of it? That's uh, very important because you are like owner. <laughs> you need to know exactly about the horse. Because also uh, the jockey is a good judge. If he's a good judge, it's help you a lot. Uh -huh. Help the trainer a lot. Maybe she know more than me. But if every day you have a, tra a jockey, you don't know the horse, how improve, how, and he can come every morning to work the horses. Then you have all the idea. But now, if you, like example, now I don't have return jockey, you need to ask some, if in group one, they will come to you. They will run him, uh, they lead him in the morning or work him in the morning, then he will tell you uh, your, uh, his idea. But if they won, you don't know. I think if you have your own jockey, it's better. Okay, so would yeah. you try and do that again if you could? I think I am talking with uh, two of my best friend jockeys now, we hope. What, to try and get a kind of arrangement where they yeah, can? Yeah, yeah. I have, like, not agreement, just, like, friendly. When they have time, they came to me. But uh, I think end of the month, we'll have something. Who are your favorite riders? You mean a jockey? Yeah. This is difficult to make somebody. Will. <laughs> but I like Oshin, I like Tom, Tom, Daniel. These three. So Oshin Murphy, Tom Marquand, yeah. and who's the third uh, one? Daniel Musket. Danny Musket. Yeah. I think Daniel is very good jockey. He's uh, very honest, like, like both of them. But, uh, but these three of them, I, I talk with them very easy. They are very kind, professionally. I mean. Excellent. Yeah. Um, now... Aidan O'Brien has good reason to, to thank Ryan Moore for uh, so many, so many great days. Aidan joins us on the line now after a ninth derby success. Aidan, good morning, congratulations. Good morning, Andy. Thanks very much. Not at all. Uh, we were looking back at the race in its entirety. Uh, August Rodan looked a thorough professional, well-balanced, all the attributes for Epsom. You were so confident that he put that Guineas run behind him. Just from your perspective, from your perspective, looking at him over those few weeks, what is it exactly about this horse that filled you with all that confidence? I suppose listen, he's always been very natural and he can go side the horse. Don't come very often. Everything about him was there. Uh, like it was exceptional from day one, really. Movement, uh, everything about him, really, uh, Nick. And, uh, and uh, we just felt uh, in, the, in the guineas, everything just didn't, nothing happened for him. And uh, and this was the race we were always looking forward to after the guineas, you know. So, um, no, and, and everybody that was involved with him was very happy with him, really. Uh, 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 Newmarket. Uh, was it easy to get him back 
after the Guineas. Were you straight back in, in routine with him? Yes. No, he came out of the Guineas very well, Nick. Yeah, his, uh, his routine wasn't broke, um, and that was the great thing about it. Um, and uh, the minute he started working, uh, like Wayne was delighted with him, really. I know you're very busy this morning, Aidan. I promise you I won't keep you for too long, but I did see you very briefly yesterday before the race. You looked in extremely good form, very relaxed. Uh, did you go into the race more confident than you had ever gone into a derby before? I know we were looking forward to it, uh, Nick, really. And an unusual thing about the race yesterday, nobody knew it. He was, he was drawn in stall 10 and he was mm-hmm. number four, and that was the very same as Galileo was when he won his first derby, you know? So, yeah. Um, but every, everything was it was everything was very good with him. His, his build up was brilliant. Um, Rachel rides him out. Uh, was very happy with him. Like I say, Wayne rides him work. Killian needs the work, and Martin needs him in his canters. And and uh, Edmund uh, and Andrew is in charge of, uh, with Edmund. Um, so uh, listen, Andrew was very very happy with him uh, all the way up, and Davy was very happy with him as well. But uh, everything just went very smooth, like, you know. Um, his, his work, his build up, uh, and his demeanour. Uh, Pat travelled him over and he was delighted with the way he travelled um, and every, like Pat said everything was right with him so when you get to the track then and everybody's that happy it's, it's, uh, and uh, obviously Ryan is riding brilliant and he was very confident as well and we left to Ryan then and, and he he, uh, he said he was going to ride him on instinct and uh, he was going to ride him by feel and, and as it came you know so um, no listen it was, it was a great day really nice um, you just made mention there of the fact that it was stall 10, the most successful stall in the race, of course, as well, and you said it was Galileo's stall and number four with Galileo. Are, are, are you quite superstitious on big days like that, Aidan? Uh, no, not not really, uh, but the lads would have all the information for you and, <clears throat> and when they said it, then obviously it would, do you know what I mean? It's, it's nice to know all those things, really, you know, yeah. so, but then, Nick, I suppose, when you see what he, he did, he, he did the, the last, like, he did the fourth last Furlong was 11 seconds, and then the next one was 11 seconds, and then he put in a 10, his second half Furlong, and then put, he put in another 11 again, you know, so that's, I, I don't uh, know times that much, but it, for, for us in Valley Dial, if a horse is doing that in the work, it would be serious work, you know, so. Yeah, and, and of course you know the fact that there's there's no reserve to his to, to his stamina as well, he can keep galloping as long as you'd, li- as long as you'd like him to gallop. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit about the pedigree. Obviously, you trained the Dam Rhododendron. You know the family very well. Uh, you talked for many years about what Galileo could bring to your horses. What what is deep impact, or what has deep impact? Sadly, no longer with us. Brought to some of to some of your bloodlines. Actually, it's incredible, really. Like obviously, what deep impact has done in, in Japan has just been incredible. Like obviously, we often say, like obviously, John decided to send over the mayor, uh, John and Sue, and and. Uh, Michael and Owen and Gay and Derek and then um, George and, and and Emily. So, like when John decided to send the mayor, uh, probably one of the best Galileo mayors we ever had. Like, like we we just like really like we just thought it was very unusual, you know. Um, and uh, like obviously, uh, anything we've ever had to do with Deep Impact has been extraordinary. Um, um, what the what the capabilities that they have, the the way they travel, the the distance they're able to get over and the class that they have and they have unbelievable minds and very easy sound horses to train you know so um, and obviously you see what has been happening in Japanese pedigrees the last few seasons um, and, and obviously we know then what Galileo was and did and and what Rosa Dendron's family is so um, I suppose the minute he came in here 
I remember John saying to us that he was probably the most important horse that ever came here. And uh, usually, like, it's very hard for horse to live up anything with, with, with when they're when they're branded that important, you know. So, um, but up to before he came here, he had passed. Like John would have checked all the way and and all the folds and everything all the way yearlings up along. And when he came in here, he passed every test. And when he started working here from the very first day he walked, he was the same. Like everything just came so easy. He kept passing every test. Um, in 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 flying colours. So I suppose everything about him was just extraordinary, really. But you don't. Those big days, you, you go racing, but you don't kind of. Some, you always hope, but you don't expect, you know. So, um, when a horse just keeps living up to everything he's bred and reared and uh, trained to do, it's uh, just incredible, really. Aiden, free hand, where would you like to go next with him? I, I'm not sure, Nick. Uh, what will usually happens is we'll see how he is and we'll talk to tell the lads what we think how he is and then they'll talk to Ryan and then they'll decide but like he has a lot of options like obviously he has the Irish Derby there and he'd have all the other things but I um, would be very conscious of trying to mind them now really um, he, he's a beautiful moving horse he loves good ground I don't think this is any problem to him um, it, it, like I think he really can go anywhere really uh, I don't think he's tied into anything which is very unusual to have a horse like that. Like he's all the class in the world. I don't think any distance will problem. He's a, he's a great mind. He'll travel anywhere. But I think it's to mind him and uh, hopefully having everything perfect with him at the end of the year, really. You know. So, um, so really, the lads will decide. But they can go anywhere they want, really. Uh, you, you mentioned the end of the year. I, I, is it the arc you'd really like with him? Yeah, I you, you do that one hundred percent. He probably would. We saw he did it in the racing post trophy, and I remember that day we were very close to taking him out. Um, but he's still like he, like those classy horses that seem to build it, just cope with everything, you know. And, and obviously the arc is there in the autumn; it's massive racing. But there's a lot of massive races there all the way up to nearly uh, Christmas now. Mm. Exactly. So, uh, just with that in mind, then, just given his own pedigree, would you ever? Would you ever consider a Japan Cup or something like that? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure, Nick, all those things are in the mix for him. But I, I think he, he, he won't have any problem yeah. uh, dealing with any of that, I'd say. You know, he, he, like, he, like I say, he's bred rare and looks like and everything is right with him. His movement, his temperament, everything seems that like, he will do anything I say anybody wants, I think. You know, so it's very, very straightforward, easy to train. It doesn't take a lot of work, so makes him just very easy to deal with, really. But as uh, we spoke about at the very beginning of the programme, the race may have gone smoothly for August Rodin. We feared it would be anything but smooth in the lead-up to the race, not just with the early start to the race, not just with the rail strikes, but most significantly with the threat that was posed and very publicly and volubly from the pressure group Animal Rising, who had disrupted the Grand National to a significant extent. Yesterday, one protester breached the barricades and got onto the track after the start of the race, importantly, because of what Animal Rising was saying afterwards. The chief executive of the Jockey Club is Nevin Truesdale and is on the line now. Nevin, good morning. 
Good morning, Nick. Um, yesterday uh, evening must have been a, a, a relieved one for most people at, at the Jockey Club. Um, just tell me a little bit about how difficult and challenging it was to get the 2023 derby off and completed safely. Well, yes, Nick, first of all, I mean, relieved, yes, absolutely. That was an overwhelming sense yesterday evening and this morning, but really proud as well. Um, in terms of the effort, the operation, the planning um, and the coordination that has gone in between our teams at Epsom, our help we have from across the rest of our group as well, from places like Huntingdon, Ingrid, Haydock, um, and from Surrey Police and our security partners. Um, absolutely fantastic team effort. Um, and a really good intelligence-led effort from Surrey Police as well. Um, Tim DeMayer, the new Chief Constable, should be very proud of his his officers this morning, um, so I'd much like to pay tribute to them. Um, but it was really important for us, Nick, as you say, to make sure that this race went ahead and went ahead as planned. Um, we see ourselves, you know this, as you know, custodians of this fantastic sporting asset. You know, for the owners that invest in it, um, like Amad and all the others, incredibly important that this race continues to take place and we're not disrupted by, you know, illegal activity. But it was as you said, as you alluded in your question, probably the one of the most difficult operations, certainly the most stringent um, and most detailed security operation that we've ever seen at the Derby. Um, and that was sadly necessary because of the very clear um, and illegal threats that we were facing. So we're very, very pleased indeed to have been able to have faced that down, faced that down properly. And I think as a sport, we can be immensely proud this morning as well because I actually think we've done um, other sports and other activities in general, um, quite a big favour. Dave is absolutely right when he says it was a, it was a very bad day for Animal Rising yesterday, um, made worse by the by the false tweet that was sent out um, where the screen behind very clearly um, alludes to the fact that the horses are well into the race. And I saw that for myself, um, standing from where I was up at the top of the Queen's stand. Um, so no, we're, we're very pleased, very proud this morning, Nick, and, and I think the support we've had from throughout the industry has just been been monumental. The man who was very much the star of the early days of the Dubai Racing Channel is uh, is on the line now because he's been very much one of the stars of Epsom over the last couple of days and the man we've been talking about for, for most of 2023 as well. Good morning, Frankie Dottori. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> feeling, feeling, feeling quite well this morning. You're not set off for Chantilly yet? We're only leaving ten minutes. Johnny's picking me up. Okay, good man. Um, reflecting on the on the weekend, uh, your well, you kissed the turf at Epsom yesterday after prosperous I, voyage and said and I said am, goodbye, Epsom. You're not not going to ride on the bank holiday Monday fixture in August then? No, no. I even ate a bit of grass. <laughs> 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 no, this there was my last one yesterday. Uh, funny enough, I didn't feel that. Emotional, you know. I probably will come towards the end of the season, but I really enjoyed what has been a great weekend for me. So uh, I got um, I got a good uh, reception from the crowd Friday, yesterday. Obviously, the derby didn't happen, but listen, we you know uh, get to Group One Friday was amazing, classic as well. And, and do you think part of the reason why maybe you you were feeling a bit more kind of a bit less emotional was actually because you're you're enjoying it so much and you're so kind of keyed in to the, to the, the, the competition of it. Yeah, this, 
Things are probably going to ride him well because I've got nothing to prove, but I haven't got any pressures of keeping my job or so on and so forth. So I'm going out there and I'm enjoying every ride and every second, and, and I think the result has shown. Uh, funny, it's a very strange feeling that I've got, but you know, it's, uh, the way I can analyze it is what I said. You feel you feel a sense of kind of calm. You you yeah. almost seem sort of quite centered. Yeah, I mean, I'm just uh, taking a race at a time. I'm going out there, very relaxed. You know, you know, you spend all your life, uh, you know, try to you know try to hold on to your job or make you know. So sometimes you overforce things. Uh, but at the moment, I'm the opposite. I'm actually so relaxed. I just let it all unfold and and. Uh, and, you know, like, like we always say, the horse has got six cents. And, uh, yeah, and it's, it's, it's working. So you've, you've had, I think, 39 rides since you've been back in the, in the UK, which is not very many. And, and you've had a dozen winners or so. Most of them have been in group races and half of those have been in, in group ones. But when we were chatting earlier in the year, you were taking seven, eight, nine rides a day. To what extent did that period from December to March really get you focused, get your eye in, get you, get you driving again? Well, I came into the season this year at 110% fit. Uh, you know, like you said, I was riding nine a day. Uh, and then also, you, the, the racing is so much sharper in, uh, in, uh, in uh, America than... Uh, you know, I, I came, I came back super fit. Uh, I, I find English racing at the moment a big stop and start. I mean, I only ride in the weekends because Monday to Thursday racing was very poor. Uh, so I had to readjust again. But I keep myself very fit in the gym, and uh, yeah, it's completely different to what I was used to this winter. And, and just. Casting an eye ahead to Royal Ascot, I mean, would you expect to be as busy as people want you to be? I mean, if somebody said to you, right, I'm going to stick you on one that's fancied in every race, would you ride every race at Ascot? Yeah, oh, oh yeah, 100%. That's, that's my last, I want to make uh, the last one count. Uh, yes, obviously, Ascot has been very popular with me and uh, I don't expect to be less popular this year. Yeah, but I mean, it's important that people know that, isn't it? Because you're, you're out there, if, you, if somebody's got a... Uh, I mean, are you going to ride some two-year-olds at Ascot as well? Uh, possibly, yes. Possibly. Yeah. So, so you're there. You're there. You're there if somebody needs you. Yeah. I'm, uh, yeah. Sure. Good. Uh, um, so let, go on. Yeah, I was going to say let, let's let's talk about the the horses over the weekend. Um, Soul Sister, first of all, in in the Oaks. Do you think she's quite a bit better than the than the bare margin she won by? Well, don't forget, it was only a, well, a fourth start of her life. Uh, you can say three because you, you won't count the first one. That was a bit of a non-event. But she's, uh, she's quite light, um, light. She needs to strengthen up a bit. And I think she's done it really well because, obviously, uh, the draw wasn't good for us. We had to be further back than we wanted to be. But in fairness, she did everything she required to do to win the classes. And you've ridden plenty of Oaks winners. Do you think she can move move on from this and, and hold her own against Colts and hold her own against older horses? Well, at the moment, she, everything we asked her to do, she did. Uh, I, I think physically she will prove again. I think she will improve as the season will go on. And uh, there is no, no reason why she's not going to be competitive in Group 1 in the future.
that was Soul Sister. But that came after uh, this, the sparkling performance of the weekend, really, which was Emily Upjohn in the in the Coronation Cup. I doubt you mind seeing this a few more times. I'm actually, I've seen it a few times, but I, I was even taken by the performance. I didn't expect that to happen. I mean, absolutely stunning effort. And I mean, John Gosman was making a, quite a play during the week of the fact that he didn't really think she was at, at, at concert pitch necessarily. If, she, if she's better than this, then the others might as well start now. I mean, I was in the same camp. I mean, I did ride her a couple of times. I thought, well, the race will bring her on. But how wrong will we? Because I don't think, you know, I mean, if we can keep a that standard on here, I'd be delighted. I mean, if she should be better than that, she'd be an aeroplane. But I think that's, that was a, a scintillating performance. And, uh, you know, she, she was a big girl last year. And I think she strengthened a lot more. And she's sure what she can do now. Could you make comparisons with Enable? Uh, not, well, she's not Enable yet, you know. Uh, she hasn't won freaking Georges and Tuark, but at the moment everything is in the right place and uh, she's a very exciting city to have. Um, Frankie, I, I know you've been asked this question a gazillion times and you are seriously fed up with it, but it needs to be asked again because <laughs> the man on my right, Ahmad Al-Sheikh, who is a good friend of yours, he has, he's confidently asserted before you came on the line that you're not going to retire and you're going to carry on another year. So I, I have to at least put it to you what he's suggesting here. Well, if he gives me a large retainer, I'm like staying. I'm joking. <laughs> no, I'm joking. It's the 21st of October. It's been my last day in Europe. I said it. Uh, you know, I'm enjoying this last bit. And uh, yes, you know, I'm going to stick to my guns. Your, your, your biggest, um, one of your biggest fans in the, in the racing media, Mr. David Yates, uh, is is three away from me on the sofa this morning. We were having a bit of a, a heated debate in the press room last night, Dave. Yeah, we were, Frankie. I mean, it, it just seems that there are two ways of retiring from any job. And in sport, you can either be retired by the sport, as most people are, or you can go out winning a, a stack of Group 1 races. But isn't there just that sense that you're you're not quite wringing every last drop out of out of your career this summer you're clearly absolutely loving every moment of this and it i think simon holt said in one either the coronation cup or the oaks he said at the end of it as a brilliant sign off you know frankie why are you going and that's a that's a question i think that is in so many minds listen five months in racing is a long time i mean everything um, at the moment i'm in a purple patch but It'd be a matter of time before I make a bulls off of things. So, so let's not talk too soon. Look, 21st of October, this is when I decided to stop, and uh, I'm, I'm sticking to that. Delighted to say that uh, Syndicate Supremo, Nick Bradley, uh, joins Dave and Eve and me on the Luck on Sunday sofa. Great to have you back in the studio. Nick, of course, I, I, I say back because you were with us virtually for so long during the during the COVID period, during the, during the lockdown period, if, if I remember rightly. You're, you're looking and sounding an awful lot better now than you did three years ago, that's for sure. Yeah, I was, I was a little outspoken at that time, wasn't I? I um, yeah, we, I caught COVID, one of the first people to catch it. Um, yeah, I caught it off my daughter. I think we, we went into lockdown a little bit sooner than everybody else. And I was thinking, oh, aren't we clever? And um, I caught, we, were, we were sitting down doing pretend schools and my children were calling Mr Bradley on the morning. And um, about 10 days into it, I thought, oh, I don't feel very, very well here. And I figured out how I'd caught it, and yeah, I thought I'd, sh I'd share the word. 
Yeah, and it it, it it became quite a quite a thing for a while, didn't it for you? Yeah, I just I just wanted to get the message out. Um, I, in my head, I was saving lives. I was watching what was going on in Italy. Um, I was basically looking at infection rates and figuring, wondering why were these going up, and yeah, just trying to educate people best I could. And of course, at the time, you're also trying to run a business, keep it afloat, make sure that you were. You were getting horses running during that difficult period, and sort of through nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, really, Nick Bradley Racing started to take off and take off big time. What was the origin of it to, to start with? Um, so I was a professional gambler um, early on, um, former primary school teacher before that, and um, I was involved in Midland Park Racing. Um, left in two thousand fifteen, so my company started then, and um, I just wanted to give the man in the street an opportunity to own a horse that could compete at the highest level and take on you know, some of the horses that we've seen running this weekend. All right, so you were a primary school teacher, which, I mean, so you're teaching everything, yep. effectively. Yeah. Um, and was that what you'd always wanted to, to do? Uh, I, went, I went to university, did a degree in um, business and with a link to education, did a year in a school um, and really enjoyed that. And then said to myself I'll, I'll go and do a PGCE which is your, you, you do after your, mm-hmm. your business degree um, spent six years teaching um, ten year olds year five and gambling kind of took over after that but were, I, you good, I, were you good at it were you a good teacher yeah yeah I, I was very good at teaching maths and PE pretty good at teaching English music RE not so good <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I had my strengths and my weaknesses. See, well, right. If you've got to teach music and you can't teach music, how do you teach music? Ex- exactly. You, you, t- <laughs> you teach it with very little confidence, um, and anybody who's in there watching you deliver that lesson might be scratching their head. You know, you, you try your best, and you've got a, you've got the syllabus to follow. But in terms of having confidence, enjoyment, doing that, I, I felt a little bit of a fraud. Okay, but you don't feel like a fraud running syndicates. No, no. Why? Um, Why are you good at it? The, so the gambling was a was a big help um, in terms of gambling. You have to be good at making good decisions. You have to take in all the information and then assess horses' opportunity or whatever sport you're dealing with. Um, you have to work out the percentages. Um, running syndicates, I have to buy the right horses. I have to put them in the right races. We have to try and have the right tactics on the day. We have to know when to give tactics and not give tactics. And I kind of. I, th- I think I'm good at making decisions. How do you choose your trainers? Because you've got a lot of them. How many have you yeah. got at the moment? Um, 12, 14 um, trainers, I would say. I like trainers who work hard. I go to the sales. And I, when I go to sales, I work as hard as anybody. And when you're walking around at the sales, you see everybody else at the sales. You see all the trainers. Some trainers will walk up the morning of the sale and their work will be done by an agent. I, li- I like to see trainers who go around, look, look at lots of horses, and my theory is if they're working the sales hard, when they go home and work in the yards, they're working hard there as well. OK, Eve Johnson-Horton has been yep. one of your trainers. Yep. She, are you on rotation at the moment, Eve? <laughs> oh, yeah, I think so. Well, I'm intermittent, intermittent trainer. Yeah, Eve, Eve's a very good at what she does. Um, she's a very good t- trainer of two-year-olds. Um, she lives an absolute million miles from my front door, um, many of my clients are in the north, and um, I would love to have horses with Eve. It's just she, she's literally the other, the other end of the world to me. Okay, so why did you choose Eve in the first place? Oh, there's the... a good question. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, the horse that we bought, we were both on at the sales. I think Eve bought it, and I, I put a star next to it or something, um, and I was round looking at fillies or something at the time, 
and I saw Eve's name was down there. I went approached Eve and Anthony Bromley, who does a great job at the sales. Um, and I said, you know, have you got an owner for that? And that's how it happened. Okay. And how did the horse turn out? It was all right. He yeah. won a few. Yeah, he won his first two. He did his job. Yeah, did his job. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So time to time to renew the. After watching the woodcut, I was. I'm always kind of having conversations with myself in my head, and one of the conversations I had on Friday was, hmm, maybe we should. Uh, Go back and have a chat with Eve in September time. Well, I'll let you take take that up up after the after the show. As far as what's currently in training is concerned, what are you most excited about? Um, as, as a manager, you, you, you try to keep. I keep trying to keep as level headed as possible. So oh, yeah, because so, so how many owners are you looking after? Oh, there'll across be um, horses. seven, eight hundred, something like that. Okay. It's, it's a large number of owners. Um, I want them to be excited, but my, me personally. Every day I've got runners, and I'm finding at the moment, well, the last however many years, it's it's a bit of a roller coaster day to day. You've got the highs and lows every day, so I try and keep as level headed as I can. Um, but we've got Marshman running this afternoon over in France. You know that's that's certainly a, a reason mm. to be excited and nervous at the same time as well. Yeah, Marshman, he ran in the Duke of York and looked as though he was a bang up five furlong horse to me. Or am I keeping it too simple? He he did, and I, I I get why people are saying that. Um, when he came out of the stalls, he did a bit of a bunny hop. He lost two lengths there. Um, at York, I always say to the jockeys, we want to come up in the middle of the track. Cliff couldn't get to the middle from his stall position. Um, I think a lot went wrong at York, and that's why he looked like a five-furlong horse. Presumably you want to go to Royal Ascot with him. Absolutely. So why do you need to run him today? We don't need to run him today. Um, when I buy horses, I try and... Do it so that whatever we spend, we get back in a bit more. It's all a business model. He's a cult, so I, my job with him is to try and make him a stallion so he can stand in England, Ireland, or France. Um, primarily England. That would, be, that would be plan A. We're based in England. We've got a, a large broodmare band Have at you home. done a stallion deal before? Um, I'm involved in a stallion um, at National Stud, Lopi Fernandez, okay. yeah. Okay. But I mean, yeah. in terms for a Nick Bradley Racing Syndicate, um, have yeah. you managed to get money back into the coffers before through a stallion deal? Um, so I had G-Force when I was at Midland Park. I bought him for 25000 He won the Haydot Spink Cup. And literally before we held the trophy, I had a stud on the phone trying to buy him. We got him sold to Tally Ho. Um, whenever I buy horses, I'm trying to think of the way we get out of them as well. And with a horse like Marshman, I've got to try and get the owners the maximum return on their investment. Because that could be a big changer for some of them. Absolutely, absolutely. We could be talking serious money. Massive money, so I've got to get it right. Running today is not going to make him a stallion in England or Ireland, but it would help. Okay. Of those seven or 800 people, how many do you think you know to talk to? Ooh, less than 20%, I would say. I get, um, I know everybody by their email address. Um... At Epsom this week, I probably knew 75, 70, 75% of the people before they arrived at the race course because I've seen them before. Um, but no, I've, I have clients in America, lots from Italy, various parts of Europe, Australia. Um, so no, small, small percentage. And obviously you make quite a big play of what you do at the sales. Is that the single most important factor in the success of the operation or is it something else? It, it, it's a big part of it, yeah. I just try and think every decision that I make, I try and get right. Um, and I'm not successful at that, but I, th- I think that's where I can add value. And is precocity 
and getting a horse on the course quickly after the purchase and getting them winning quickly. How big a selling point is that? Yeah, um, I mean, we've seen a derby in the Oaks this week and there's no way that... Oh, it's going to be very hard for me to win a derby or an Oaks. Even though you've had an Oaks runner-up? I've had an Oaks runner-up, yeah. I, I did when I bought With the a horse. With a two-year-old. Yeah, I, I, but when I bought the horse, the last thing I thought I'd be running in is the Oaks, but she just she stayed further and further. Um, I, I, I always think that companies like McDonald's do well because you can, you can arrive at 9.48 and you can have something to eat in your hand at 9.50. And I think that's what owners want. They want to be able to buy a horse and get on the track sooner and later. Well, Eve Johnson-Horton bob bought Bobsleigh at 9.48, and by 9.50 she was winning the Woodcut Stakes with the horse. Very, very smart performance, Eve. And a lot will be made of how unlucky the third horse was, Hart and back in the field. But you begin your run at roughly the same time, and you scooch past this field. How good is he? I think he's pretty useful. Um, he did a lovely bit of work on Tuesday. Um, which, which gave us a lot of hope going in here. Um, he had his first run at Brighton, so we thought, even though it, I think he will be better on a conventional track, you just see him lugging here, that um, we thought he'd handle the track OK. And he's got a really nice turn of foot, so, yeah, I think he's pretty useful. So off to Royal Ascot, presumably? Yeah, I think so. You know, Again, we bought him for a syndicate, and it's a two-year-old syndicate that gets sold at the end of their two-year-old career, so... That's where we'll be going. And, I mean, this, where we talk about Nick having success for smaller owners, multi-owners, whatever, the Woodway 20, this was a bunch of people, some of whom hadn't really been involved before? No, exactly. So we had, um, coming out of the lockdown, I was like, mm, a bit concerned about how many orders I've got. So I bought three cheap horses and syndicate and said, you know, uh, X amount and that would be done and they'd be sold. Um, and the idea of having three is you have hopefully one that's quite useful, one that's probably not very good, and one that might not make the race course. So you're spreading a risk. And the first year we had Chipotle, who was brilliant. And won the Windsor Castle. Won the Windsor Castle and the Red Kurt sales race. And last year we had two that won two each. You know, they were OK at a level, they weren't great. And then this year we've got, we've got him and one that will win a nursery and one that's yet to make a race course. So, yeah, it's uh, 20 people... Some of whom have never had a racehorse before. Some of whom are old owners that didn't want to have a whole horse. Um, and it's just worked really well. To what extent has he exceeded your expectations, Bob Slate? You obviously like him, otherwise you don't buy him. Uh, I liked him at the sales. Um, I got him home and I wasn't sure. And, and at Christmas time I was like, oh my lord. And, and, you know, he just wasn't what? doing, he wasn't doing. He was just being, trying to do everything too quickly and just... I thought, oh, it's not. So I gelded him. I thought, right, we're going to geld him, give him time, and gave him like two or three weeks off, in which time he just thrived. And from um, sort of February time onwards, he's just done and done and done. And every bit of work we've done with him, he's done better. Is there any case with a horse, with most horses, 99.9% .9 of horses, is there any case for not gelding them at that point? Well, I think for something that costs you 17000 has not got a stallion's pedigree, there, you might as well gel them. Yeah. And was that what you would do with most of them? Um, a lot of my owners won't. Don't, they seem to think I want to geld them, but I really don't. That's I, quite weird, isn't I know, it? I know, but it's... Uh, they have Are the they still people but they have the dream. doing that? They have the dream yeah. that they think it's going to be a stallion. It hasn't got a stallion's pedigree. It cannot be a stallion. Um, and I, but I geld quite a lot from two to three. But then, of course, I could apply the same argument to Marshman, I suppose, mm. couldn't I? Or has he got a stallion's pedigree? Um, he was second in the gym crack. Mm. The Jim Crack is a stallion's making race. He was favoured for the middle park. He yeah, but if you'd whipped him off before he'd even run as a two-year-old, that would have been a different ball game. Yeah. 
Um, um, a, month, a month before we ran him, I remember Kelly Burke saying he's um, all the horses are walking around the yard and he's trotting around the yard. When all the, all the horses start trotting, he starts cantering. So there was a case for it, but um, we resisted, and I'm, I'm glad we did. Mm. And he's fine in his mind to to keep delivering. Yeah, I hope so. And we spy Harry Angel. He was Harry Angel wasn't a straightforward horse, um, but in terms of this year, yeah, he's been, he's been great. Um, things didn't go right at York, but you know th- that happens. As you know, when you're on a roll, you're on a roll. Eve, you, you were on a roll over the weekend. Everything ran well. Sheer rocks yesterday afternoon. Sort of doing the post race analysis, thought, mm, yeah, nice performance. Every time you you watched the replay, he seemed to win a bit more easily. Yeah, I mean, he's a lovely horse. We bought him in, when we bought him as a yearling. He was literally two boards slapped together, uh, very slight. Um, and he won two races of two rods. So I got all oh, thought, oh, that's quite extraordinary. I'm not quite sure how he's done that on very firm ground to start with. And and I got probably got a bit overexcited as a three-year-old and overfaced him. But um, again, he's been gelded and thrived over the winter. He won on soft ground at Ascot, firm ground here. He really is very versatile and improving, improving. So he's a lovely Saturday horse for the owners, and you know he could just keep improving. Is there anything for him at Ascot? The Duke of, is it Duke of Edinburgh is that yeah. the mile and a half handicap? Yeah. But you know he's race eighty-nine, so we had to run really well here to try and get him high enough to get in the um, Ascot handicap, which is I think hopefully what we've done. Harry Davis rode this horse for you, Sheer Rocks. Uh, to what extent do you think he is really developing into someone who could be the real deal? Um, he's doing really well. I mean, obviously, he comes from the, the balding school of, of jockeys, and uh, he, he's very well balanced on a horse, and he's very level-headed. Um, he rode Sheer Rocks at Chester for me. It was, I think it was the first time he ever rode for me, um, and won on him there, which is why he was given the ride back today. But I would definitely... Yesterday, sorry. But I would definitely use him again. Mm-hmm. I think he's a, a very good jockey. You will obviously have your views about trainers. You will obviously have your views about jockeys as well, and probably some quite clear ones. Who's at the top of the Nick Bradley packing order at the moment? I, I heard you ask that question earlier, and I was thinking, oh, I hope you don't answer It's not a question that. I normally ask people, <laughs> no. but it just seems to have yeah. presented itself this morning. So a couple of years ago, we had Ben Curtis as a return rider. It worked mm. really, really well. Um, and then um, Ben went off and did, his, did something else. And so this year, I've got... I could, I could reel off half a dozen names. Sam James, Clifford Lee... Um, Johnny um, Johnny P, Ben Curtis. We used William Parley yesterday, claiming seven, who gave our horse a great ride. Um, I try and I try and mix in with 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 the trainers involved. I think if if it's not broke, don't fix it. And at the moment, it's not broke. And who trains the most Bradley horses for you, Carl? Carl yeah, Carl's got plenty with us. Mm. Yeah, and obviously he would use Clifford Lee Absolutely. an awful lot. Yeah. So that that ties in. Yeah, ties and then if nicely. I've got a horse somewhere else. Um, and we're short of a jockey, then I would, you know, I'll try and use Cliff or Sam. Yeah. Okay. Just before we move on, and it's talking points coming up in a, in a couple of moments' time. Eve, I must ask about Streets of Gold because he was a smashing little two-year-old for you last year. What did he win? Five. Six? Yeah, five from five. Five yeah. from five. Um, ran in that in that bog in the in the green and ran all right. You gave him a wind up. Um, yeah, just procedure, just soft palate procedure. I yeah. think it was to make me feel better rather than him because he just. <laughs> well, George Baker, the jockey, said he said I was standing at the two pole and I could hear him then. Mind you, I, I'd have been making a noise well, exactly, in the background. Exactly, and we stuck a scope down, and it was very faint. And I thought, but if I don't do it, and someone says he makes a noise at the rest, next race, I'll think, what an idiot. So we got it done, and now he's, he's fine. Hated Epsom. He, I mean, he's 
fell down the hill and I was like oh my goodness how embarrassing but then he sort of shook it he's so game mm. he shook himself off and ran on really well in another 10 yards he'd definitely been second so uh, get him home give him a bit of R&R uh, &R, and I think we're off to the jersey with him It was in 1988 that my next guest won the derby. He's grimacing alongside me. <laughs> Aboard Kayazi for His Highness the Aga Khan, the third Aga Khan-owned winner of the derby in that decade. He is, of course, Ray Cochran, but a, a life and career that encompasses so much more than that. But it's always that day, isn't it? It's always that day that you're going to be remembered for. Highlight of your life, really, isn't it? You know, highlight of your life. You're, we come into the sport and you want to go to the top... And uh, your dream, as everyone's dream in, in uh, racing, is to win a derby or an Oaks or a Guineas, but the derby is the one, you know. And I was just lucky to get on KRZ at the right time and won two derbies. The English, Irish, English and Irish derby is fantastic to lose, you know. And I mean, you, you watch the race every year. You look at the race yesterday. When you watch the, the shape of it, the makeup of it, the way that it unfolds, it strikes me that no matter who the characters are, no matter who the personalities are, no matter how the breed might change, there's something about it that remains very much a constant. It's, it's a very, very, very special race. Epsom on Derby Day is a special place to go. Even if you don't ride in the race, if you ride in the, the smaller races on the car, the supporting races, it's still special to be there because the atmosphere is fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, and what, are, in terms of from a jockey's point of view, actually riding in the race itself. What is so different about that? Well, everybody wants to win for a start. <laughs> and uh, in, in, the, in the weighing room... In the weighing that room, might be the best answer yeah, we've ever had. In the weighing room, uh, there's always, when you go there on the, on the morning, some of the jocks will go out, and, well, most of the jocks should go out and walk the track if they weren't there the previous day. And the atmosphere is different. The atmosphere is different. The, the quiet ones will be chatting, and the ones that do make all the noise will be all of a sudden they'll be quiet. You know, that's the sort of thing that happens because they're thinking about what's going to happen, what's going to go on, how things are going to pan out, what they're going to be told to do by different, all sorts of different people. You know, so they've got to analyse analyze all these variables and try and keep a lid on everything to keep themselves organised mm. so they can go out and do a good job. When you went out to ride Kayazi, what had been preoccupying you on that morning? Oh, that morning, nothing. Well, I'd make sure that I knew that my trainer was a great trainer. Look, was a great, Kimani. great trainer. I knew he'd have him there, spot on on the day, and I knew that the horse was a special little horse. So what I didn't want to do was make sure I was going to be the weakest link in the chain because I think it was my first. I think it was my first Derby ride. So you're and the you're the you're the chocolate hoops, aren't you? On the yeah, second yeah. the uh, second colours. Yeah, second chef star, colour. chef star on the outside, the grey, and it's just uh, making a nice move. And uh, you know, he, I knew here, I'd, unless somebody came from behind me, I would win, because I knew one thing he would do: he'd stay well and he'd stick his head out if anybody came to battle with him. That's Lucas' other horse, Kiefer, in the yellow. Check out his colours. Uh, I think he finished fourth in the end, but he's a great little horse. You know, one thing he always did was battling his stick his head as he showed in the Irish derby. It was a great race there too. And uh, Mikey on the inside, who I've known since he was nine, Michael Hills, I was apprenticed to his dad. But I didn't, sh I didn't waver anything because I thought, oh, Mike might not like that. <laughs> and he was a very young Michael Hills. Then, yes, wasn't he? he was. He was indeed. Yeah, he was indeed. But it was a great day. And really, it, it didn't actually sink in until maybe two hours after the race. 
uh, we, we came in by chopper because it was very busy on the roads. You don't go in there or drive if you can do without it. On that day, you don't want no hiccups. And um, there was a mile and a half handicap later in the day. And we were up waiting for the choppers, you know, to get organised. And the, the mile and a half handicap came around. And we were still right at the top of the hill by the seven furlong gate. And I was just stood there. On my, I was just stood on my own. And I went, I have won the derby. <laughs> I have won the derby. And that's when it sunk in, so I think, you know. And as I say, we're here however many, many years later, 35 years later. <laughs> it was a long time to me. It was a long, long time. Well, it is a 35 years. I'll have a long time, you know. It was a great day. It was a great day. And Kayazi may not even have been, I'm sure he wasn't the most naturally brilliant and talented horse that you rode, but he is probably the most special one. Oh, he is. Oh, yes, he is indeed. You know, uh, he was, as you say, a special little horse. Which he showed how tough he was in the Irish Derby because he had to throw everything in that day to win. Got knocked over down the back and had a bit of trouble in running, turning in. Got knocked into, but uh, he stuck his head out and uh, a bit quinny a short head. The one thing that strikes me about you is that you, you've always been a, a great reader of people and the way that they they interact with the, with the sport. And your career and your life has intersected with people who have a little mystique about them. Obviously, we know about your relationship with Frankie, but going way back before then, you talk about Barry Hills and Luca Kumani, people with extraordinary charisma in their very different ways. And Fred Winter. Uh, well, let me start Fred with Winter. Fred Winter. And Fred Winter. Let me start with Fred Winter. Yeah. Um, uh, I came out of my time with Barry, and I was, I was heavy because I had a couple of accidents. And uh, my first ride over hurdles, one for Duncan Sass, one lock head at Newton Abbott. And... Um, Things were, no, I was a struggling jump jockey. I was heavy on the flat, couldn't ride on the flat. And uh, But you'd ridden a bit on the flat, hadn't you? Oh, yeah, the, I'd ridden yeah. uh, 25 winners, I think, on the flat, mm. you know. But then I had an accident. <laughs> there, too, I had an accident, which made I was laid about and put on weight. Because when you're up to about 26, you're still uh, growing and developing, you know. So I put on weight. And I thought, well, I'll ride over hurdle. I go. Well, I always planned to be a, a jump jockey. That was my plan uh, all my life, to ride in the Grand National. Mm -hmm. And then... Um, I rode over hurdles, uh, one lock head one at Newton Abbott. And then uh, I thought, well, I'm struggling for rides here. Why don't I actually get a job in race, in jump racing? And then uh, maybe I'll learn a lot more off that and uh, maybe go from there. So I thought, well, I'm in Lambourne. Well, I'll go and ask the best, Fred Winter. And so this is, what year would this have been, roughly? Oh, I couldn't, oh, seven, late uh, 70s. You're right, late 70s, early 80s, yeah. I should think, you know. So Frankham's in his absolute Oh, peak. Oh, Johnny was first time. jockey. Uh, James Guest was uh, second jockey. Nicky Henderson was assistant trainer amateur. And we had the best staff, Brian Delaney, head man. We had the best staff in the world. Brian Delaney was the best head man in the world. It was the most fan. When he said to me, yes, you can come and work here. That's it, work. You're not going to do anything that you're just going to work. That's mm. it. It's a smashing, a smashing. Thank you very much indeed. I was so pleased to be working for the Fred Winter. But was at that time, would it have been really quite competitive? Would you have had to have been, you know, approved to get into to Fred Winter's? It well, was that sort after. Somebody must have said something somewhere. Yeah. Or maybe he spoke to Barry or something like that there. Or, yeah, but um, you'd been at Barry Hills. You'd ridden winners. Oh, so yeah, you yeah. Were, well, you were, I don't know if he knew me or not. But he knew my father-in-law. Mm -hmm. So maybe Johnny said something, I don't know. But I was very pleased to get the job there. And uh, as far as I was concerned, it was the best job I ever had. Really? Ever, yeah. I, I loved I There was never a morning that I got up and I didn't want to go to work. No matter what. We walked it, well, me and I walked it from uh, up the top of the hill there, uh, where um, 
ham damage you are. We'd take our own trains. We walked it from all the way from there one morning all the way down to Lambo. There was so much snow about. And I thought, well, I'm going in. I have to go in and go get my horses or Fred's, you know. And we walked all the way down there. And what made it so special? It was a special place. It was just a special place. There was always something going on. You could watch horses schooling. There was good horses. There was Rodman. There was Midnight Court. Old Sunny Summers had won so many races. I got on a real nice horse called Stops. Fred let me ride. It was a bit of a tear away. But um, it was a special place to be every day. There was always something new going on. Well, to me, it was anyway. You know, to me, I loved it. I absolutely loved going there, so I did. And isn't it, isn't it the case, you, you know, you have those times in your life, don't you, that you can't quite put your finger on why, but it's the combination of the people, the experiences, your age, yeah. your outlook, and it all just clicks. Yes, and the horses too. The ho- we had some fantastic horses there too, you know, some fantastic horses. It was a great place. It was a it, great place. Eve, can you, can you recall a period where, where you felt everything was everything was contributing to sort of just your general happiness and well-being. You know what I mean? When you're kind of in a certain period of your life. Yeah, most of my life I've been very lucky, really. So, But I think um, when I was working for John Hills and we had Broadway Flyer and Wind in Her Hair and we just had some really good horses and it was just all clicking, everything made sense. And, it all went well. and it's just a special time in your life. You're yeah. making your way in the game, yeah. things are going well, yeah. there's success, there's people around you you like you mentioned the late john hills um the anniversary of whose passing it was just the other day and i thought of him yesterday because of course he trained wind in hair the dam of, dam of deep, deep impact, impact. Mm. yeah it's, it's amazing yeah, how that we really we really miss him he was an amazing character john Do, but just for those, those who who don't remember john hills it, barry's eldest son um just just tell us a bit about him so he um when barry moved to manton uh, John stayed and trained at Southbank, mm-hmm. and then when Barry came back to Southbank, John went up and, uh, up and trained up the Folly Road. And I joined him in nineteen, I can't remember, ninety something or other. And uh, went there, and he was the best fun. I mean, it, sometimes we were flying by the seat of our pants, but it was the he was the eternal optimist, and he had a laugh like Muttley. That's <laughs> 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 what he used to get, and he was just. The best person I worked for. I love working for John. It was really good fun. And uh, he he would have been pretty thrilled at that little part that that he'd played in in this amazing dynasty that Deep mm. Impact has Absolutely. has produced. I'm Absolutely. sure. And Ray, you were you were obviously with with Barry Hills prior to the the time at, at Fred Winters. Um, as as formidable a, a character as as everyone presumes. Oh yes, every bit of it. Every bit of it. Every bit of it. Um, uh, one, well, after I arrived, I was only 14. After I arrived, I lived down in the digs in the village and uh, had to walk up past Barry's kitchen every day. But anyway, one day I was late. And I was sort of thinking, don't look in the window. If he's sitting in there, you're going to get some abuse. And it's fearful. Don't look in the window. So I'm walking up there. This is about quarter past seven, so I'm walking. You know what he's like, Eve. You know what he, she knows what he's like. I walked up there, and the next thing you know, I walked by the window. I could hear him hammering on the window. Hear him, and I'm up the stairs. I'm up into the car park, and I can still hear him hammering on the window. And he's more like, you know, oh, you begin with you. Oh, yeah. It's tough, very tough. But fair, fair enough, you know, fair enough. But uh, whenever I was there uh, a while, and say maybe three years, 
I knew I didn't want to be a stable lad. You know, I, I'd come here to be a jockey. Mm -hmm. And as far as I was concerned, you know, I was riding well enough. And I used to read a lot of work with Willie Carson, a lot of work with Edward Hyde, Bob Street, Ernie Johnson. Barry put me on lots of good work. And I thought, well, if I can... And I rode all the rough ones, well, all majority of them. And um, Did you enjoy that? Loved it, yeah, loved well, it. Well, the harder the better. Oh, yeah, it didn't bother me at all. I was young and stupid and daft, mm -hmm. and so I was, you know. And um, I thought, no, none of these other kids... Oh, the only one who got a ride, I think, was Jeff Snook. And uh, Kevin Mooney was just about to move to uh, Foot Walwins. Mm -hmm. And I thought, no, I'm not going to get stepped on here by somebody else. You know, we were, it was eight apprentices in the yard. And I thought, no, I've got to go in here and stick up for myself. Which, for a kid of 16-year-old who was quite shy and didn't say a lot, was a big thing. Yeah. A big thing to go there on a Sunday morning. I should have maybe left it till Monday, because Sunday's a busy time, isn't it? <laughs> I didn't know that at the time. But I thought, get your shirt on, get dressed, get shaved, get down in that office, go in and see him, and, uh, you know, tell him, you know, this is what you want. I want to be a jockey. I don't... If I have to go somewhere else, I have to go somewhere else. Mm. You know, but I don't want to be a stable. I've come here to be a jockey, and I want to be that. So I walked around the yard all oh, about ten times, and finally plucked up courage. Come on, get in, get in, get in, go on, get in, same. Tapped on the door. Barrio answers the door. Yes, Ronan. Could I have a word with you, boss? Come in. Sit down. Of course, the place is covered in papers, racing calendar everywhere, phones everywhere, form books everywhere. And I said, uh, boss, and I started telling him what I thought and all the rest of it, and he went, you think that? I'll tell you what you'll do. Get out of here before I give you a swift one up the rear. <laughs> now. And I will see you in the morning. And don't be late. <laughs> so anyway, I gradually got up and walked out. He slammed the back door behind me. And I was stood there going, should I go back in and have a go back on him? <laughs> I thought, no, don't, let's go on. So I scooted off home and I was raging that I hadn't gone back in and I had to go with him, you know. I was only 16, you know. So I thought, don't make a, don't make a mistake. You've a bit, he knows what you think, don't make another mistake. So we're riding out the following morning, we're just trotting up the Farringdon Road by Stan Mellors, but Stan Mellors then, where, where William Muir trains now. And he's trotting, trotting along the string, telling everyone what to do. He said, all right, I Yes, boss. Owner says you can ride Nagba. <laughs> he tr just tried on. And I'm, stood, I'm just trotting along. Did he say I'm riding Nagba? And one of the girls, Karen, behind me, says, Karen, did he say I'm riding Nagba? That's what he said. She had already won three and been second twice. It was an hour, an hour. And uh, I think I won another following week at uh, Chepstow first time up. Brilliant. And then I rode her ten times, rode nine winners on her, and rode a couple of winners on something else. And I rode uh, eleven winners that year. I did twenty-three rides, I think. You know, 